and welcome to the Authorised Podcast, where writers speak. My name's Kevin Hillier, and today, introducing you to an author by the name of Chris Anstey. He's better known as a basketball player, but he's a pretty good author too, judging by Tall Tales, What the Whiteboard Never Taught Me, the book we're talking to Chris about today, his debut book, and some great stories in there, and we'll get to that in just a moment. A reminder about our podcast partners, the great people at CSCG. Now, sometimes finance can be a complex issue, and sometimes it can be a simple issue. CSCG are people who cut through all the razzmatazz and uh, and get to the point and tell you exactly what's going on in your finances. They're great people to deal with. They're honest and you can check out everything about them by jumping on the website, cscg.com.au, or you can pick the phone up and give them a call. I uh, look forward to having a chat to you. Double nine seven four eight triple three is their number and they're always up for a chat about uh, the world of finance and, uh, and how it might affect you and how they might be able to help you. So give them a call or jump on the website. Let's get to our seven foot tall guest this week. It is a two-time Olympian, a great Australian basketball player who took his trade uh, to all parts of the world. We'll talk about that with Chris Anstey. Just tell me firstly, would your English teacher from high school be amazed, surprised, delighted, or what reaction would you get <laughs> that you've actually written a book? I said to people I never thought I'd read another one, let alone write one. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I always enjoyed English and always enjoyed my group emails when I lived in Russia. You know, back then before social media, I had to write about what was happening. I tried to make it as descriptive as possible, but probably surprised, I would imagine. What prompted uh, you to put pen to paper and uh, and uh, and sort of put all your thoughts down and uh, and some of the things that you've learnt over the years? It was a combination of, of the reason that I started coaching was that I knew how great the coaches I'd had had been and the lesson I'd learned had been, and I wanted to share some of those with other people knowing that those coaches weren't going to be around to share them forever or unable to share those lessons with everyone and combine that I suppose with part of what they taught me of being productive in boredom through lockdown and uh, I started writing one about Dustin Fletcher and I about pathways and how we'd come through very different pathways we don't really believe in pathways to success we believe more about habits and behaviours I showed it to a couple of friends and you know, was sort of self-congratulating myself a little bit about finishing one short story and <laughs> they read it and they sort of looked at me and like, it's not very good. <laughs> and they, <laughs> I got back to the, the, the edited version and I wrote it again and gave it back to them again. I reckon I wrote it four times and they read it four times before they finally said, yeah, that's... <laughs> um, and, and that almost became the theme, you know, and what I tell a lot of students and people is that so often we just present what we do the first time is the best version of us and then don't go back over and look to improve. Yeah. And I just think how bad the book would have been or maybe even if I would have gotten it done if I had have put that very first story I wrote on Facebook and people would have re- uh, read it and not been interested in reading the next one. But it, probably the thing I'm proudest of is actually finishing it. It took a lot, a lot of time and a lot of effort. And, uh, at a lot of stages, you know, going through it, thinking, hey, that's not very good. But I'm really proud with the way it came out. I'm really proud that I finished it. And the other thing is too, you've, you've, uh, and you you sort of uh, addressed this at the start of the book. You talk about the fact that you didn't think your journey was terribly interesting. It's a really a really interesting way to look at it because other people look at what you've done and go, "Wow!" And you kind of look at it and go, "Oh yeah, uh, I did what I did." <laughs> yeah, I, I guess probably because I never grew up wanting to be a basketball player and at some level at the start, felt like I was 
not an imposter, I don't think, but it was just a bit of a, a joke that I was doing pretty well with a sport that I, I didn't even consider myself to be a part of. Yeah. Um, I always considered myself a tennis player, and so, you know, my dreams weren't the Olympic Games, they weren't the NBA, they were Wimbledon. You know, what you learn and what I was fascinated by was I always wondered with anything I did as to what level I could get to, how good I could be at something. And I was driven to figure that out, whether it be basketball or, or writing books. It went well and, and I kept doing it. I had a psychologist made on my early days who said something that really resonated with me. He said, you're not a basketball player. You're just a human being who happens to be able to play basketball pretty well. Yeah. And that's how I always considered myself, you know, I always thought there was a little bit more to me than just the ability to play basketball. Were you surprised at how much stuff you remembered? I mean, were you a diary, a note taker during your, during your playing days at all, or do, did, did all this stuff just kind of come back into your head as you were going along? You know, it came back, and I'm a, I'm a bit of a storyteller. When the book became real, I thought I just can't go and write a book based on my own recollection. I've got to actually fact check a little bit. And so that became maybe the most fun part of writing it was reconnecting with the people in the book, um, asking them what they remembered going over the events, even reading up and researching some of the statistical elements of it to make sure that my memory was accurate. And for the most part, it was really, really close. I'd forgot something had happened or... uh, But just reconnecting through lockdown and through the long lockdown with some people who I'd just fallen out of touch with a little bit for no particular reason. It was just a lot of fun. Do you still remember how you felt walking into the you know C grade Keelor Basketball Association for the for the you know aptly named Albatrosses? <laughs> Albatross, <laughs> <laughs> making your making your debut. I mean, you, you did it because your brother almost made you do it. Yeah, well, Mum made me do it, and yeah. I remember not wanting to be there, being mad, and you know that really that that sinking feeling in your gut you have when you you almost locked into doing something you really don't want to do. It was that. And walking into the basketball stadium, back then Kiowa Basketball Stadium only had three courts and the door was right at the front. And just remember walking into the most foreign environment I've been in and not knowing what to do. And that, As I said in the book, there was a little part of me that instead of being grumpy <laughs> and just moping around for an hour, I didn't realise just on seven foot tall to be able to run and jump and catch. Well, they all turned out to be really positive qualities in basketball. Yeah. Being seven foot tall is a positive quality in basketball. How, did, how was it, uh, you know, being the gangly teenager who was sort of shooting up at uh, left, right and centre? Uh, was that a difficult teenage – I mean, everyone's got a difficult teenage story to tell, but was that yeah. – was that that made sort of complicated a little bit more because you were all mm-hmm. arms and legs? Yeah, it did. Um, and I'm like probably most kids, I got picked on all the time at school for being different. You know, tripped, pushed, bullied, all those sort of things. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. And I've had a, a few different conversations. And I've got a, a 17 year old son who's six foot 10. Yeah. And, you know, with, with all of the differences that we speak about today, whether it be race, religion, uh, weight, um, ability, or disability, and, you know, we're, we're really, really careful with what we say to people, but height seems to be the last one where anyone can walk up and you get it hundreds or hundreds of times a day making tall jokes and comments and asking how tall you are. And, you know, my son said to someone the other day, when they asked, mate, how, you know, how's the weather up there? How tall are you? Yeah. Oh, would you mind telling me how much you weigh? 
<laughs> and they got offended by it. Yeah. And I was standing next to them. It was just a really, really interesting conversation and coming from a 17-year-old son. It reminded me of, you know, he's probably better suited to deal with it than when I was when I was 14 or 15. But uh, now everyone's got their thing, and I think at times everybody wants to blend in and be like everyone else. But at the same time, one thing that being Paul taught me and continues to teach me is that you know, it's not much good fitting in and being like everyone else. You really do want to stand out. But if you can stand out, do it in a positive way. Yeah. What do you want people to take out of the book, Chris? I just think that there are amazing lessons to be learnt through sport that parallel and are able to be applied to every everyday life. I saw sport through a very different lens and it taught me about people. Um, it taught me about how to achieve my own personal best. Um, but, but I think more than anything, and I, I hope that the theme becomes, you know, there, there are opportunities to do incredible things everywhere. Oftentimes we miss them because we say no to too many things. Yeah. Um, we need to get up. We need to get off the couch. We need to go and explore. And especially, especially during lockdown when it's hard and there are so many reasons to not do things, we really need to drag ourselves up and, and find a reason to do something. And even if it's not a great experience, we can learn from that. But at the same time, and my, my favourite saying in the world is you never know who's watching. One yeah. day that person who saw me at Kiowa Basketball Stadium when I was 17 years old might just be walking around the corner. Um, you don't want to be sitting on the couch when they're around the corner. Yeah, I, I, I love the fact that you talk about living your life as if uh, as if someone can see you because you you don't know who is actually seeing you. It's a it's a, a fabulous thing. Uh, when you when you look back on the on the good and the bad things, and, and you had a, a fair mix of both. I mean, the Russian experience had, had you know great highs and, and bloody awful lows. But when you look back on it uh, in a in a book form, does it put a smile on your face? Uh, yeah, it does. It, but it's the people. And it's the people I tell the stories about that yeah. put a smile on my face. And I realise how fortunate I've been. And I always knew, but I, I think maybe that was even more strongly reiterated in my mind that I, I was really, really lucky to, to have Brian Gordon in my life, to have Des Middleton in my life, to play basketball with some incredible people. And, and then, yeah, it's funny, though, because as you look back, and I think anyone who wins the championship has an incredibly positive experience. Will tell you there was a lot of there were a lot of average times along the way, but you tend to forget them a lot more easily when you have a fantastic moment. So there were definitely some tough times. Russia was tough. The NBA at times was tough, but I think I've become who I am. I've grown a lot because I had because I went through the tough. I wasn't protected from the tough, and I think when I look around junior sport today, there are so many parents out there who try to protect their children from the tough times and think they're doing the right thing by them, where in fact they may be doing them a disservice by not allowing their kids to go through the tough times because it will really prepare them for later on in life. Yeah, you have to hear the word no, don't you? And you have to, you have to lose to appreciate how good winning is. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You need to fail. My weight coach always used to say that you know, every time you go into the weight room, you fail because you lift weights in a particular exercise until you can't do it anymore, until your body literally fails. Yeah. And then you recover for three minutes and you do it again and you try to get better. And that was a really, really interesting analogy that we all, as a, as a group back in the southeast Melbourne Magic days, used to take with us. Just keep failing and keep failing and let's go to somewhere we've never been before. Had uh, Essendon had a pair of size eighteen boots uh, back in uh, back in the day, uh, th- <laughs> things might have been totally different, mightn't they? You know what they they actually might have been, and I, and I don't know. 
And that, that, you know, I don't, of all the things that, that I wonder about when I look back through my career is I always wonder how I would have gone as a football player. And I nearly went there. I nearly went to Hawthorne in the middle of my career when the Victoria Titans folded. And there's still that little tiny part of me that wonders if, if I would have been great, horrible, somewhere in between. <laughs> but um, I got my little AFL experience by playing with some, again, some incredible people in that uh, EJ Witten game a couple of years. And I even kicked a goal. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll take that as my <laughs> AFL career. <laughs> Um, the tennis, uh, you were a serious, serious tennis player, and we mentioned Essendon and footy uh, with Dustin Fletcher. You're a hell of a, had a four-year winning streak there. How good do you reckon you would have been at tennis if you'd stayed at that? Do you ever think about that? Yeah, and, and I'm pretty comfortable in the fact that even right before I finished playing, part of the reason that it was a little bit easier was that other kids were catching up or going past me. Yeah, you know, this sort of the, the, the game had gone past me a little bit with the kids who just kept hitting it back from the baseline and never missed, and I was a little bit more obviously with my levers bigger serve and get to the net a little bit and you know, consistency and speed compared to some of the kids as they started getting the sixteen or seventeen wasn't my strength. So, um, but I think we would have been limited to being okay doubles players. So I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty comfortable that basketball suited me better. You reckon the the Woodies wouldn't have been uh, quaking in their boots with uh, <laughs> Fletcher and Anstey on their on their tail? The, the, that is, the, that's funny enough. When Dustin and I talked, that's the only comparison we could, we could have aspired to be like. And I think that would have been about the, the extent that we could have gotten to. <laughs> well, fortunately for you and for the basketball world, you went to basketball, um, uh, and you mentioned Des Middleton, who obviously was one of the uh, the driving forces at the start. But Brian Gordian's a name that keeps bobbing up through the book as someone who's really important in your life, and you mentioned him already. He fought he fought to get you, didn't he? He really wanted you. Yeah, he did, and he just saw a kid that probably he probably saw more. He definitely saw more in me than what I did. You know, when he started talking Olympic Games and NBA, he almost lost me because I, I genuinely thought he was just saying things to recruit me, but so eye-opening and, you know, one, one of the biggest learning things from Gorge, and again, one of the things that so few young athletes and their parents are, are willing to go through is the, is the notion that you need to get worse before you get better. Yeah. Uh, Gorge always spoke that it's okay, you'll come out the other side so much better than what you would if you don't go through this. And he was right, of course. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of, of kids who have a bad season or don't win on a Friday night. They'll change coaches, they'll change clubs. You know, they want that instant gratification and they want to be, they want to be good now. Yeah, which, I mean, you can understand that, but it's also, there's a, there's no big picture thinking when you're a young person uh, on on the rise and you think you've got it all in front of you. Yeah, I think I said that, well, I know I said that in the book, is that I was so fortunate. My first three coaches that I spent significant time with, they always saw the big picture and the winning took care of itself, but, but we always put development first. You know, like I said, Des Middleton, Al Westover, and then Brian Gorgeous were the three coaches. That I spent a lot of time with. Of course, I had Lindsay Gaze as well, but Al was the guy that did the individual work with me. It was all development. You know, again, the winning just found a way of taking care of itself. I love your uh, your draft story to the NBA um, because you know we see these wonderful uh, pictures uh, from uh, the uh, America these days. You know, blokes in suits and standing up and getting their <laughs> cap and and you know being being hugged by you know left, right, and centre by all these different people. 
Your draft uh, selection to um, to the NBA was not exactly in the most salubrious of places. <laughs> it was in a a little boardroom at the local TV station. The whole team came along. My family, all my parents were there, and literally we watched it because Foxtel didn't exist then. We didn't have any of the live streaming. Um, I went and put a pair of jeans on a magic polo shirt, and we we watched and. My name was called out at number 18 and, you know, then all of a sudden, so hang on a second, I'm going to have to get on an aeroplane and live in a foreign country and, and play a sport at a, at a level I don't know exists. Um, so it was incredibly daunting, you know, the game I played that weekend. It, it just felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders. It was just an incredible week or so of basketball and probably went back to being a little bit more pure than, had it, than it had been for the 12 months leading in. Yeah, and then you get on a plane and go to America. Now I want to talk about this plane trip, Mister Anstey, because uh, until I read your book, I didn't know that you sat next to Glenn Campbell on a plane and didn't know who the bloody hell he was. <laughs> it was well. I, the first thing was I turned left. I went and sat in first class, and I, I was sitting next to an American guy who sleep read this chat. Eventually, one of the the other first class passengers, "What's he like?" I said, "What." You don't know who that is? He said, no. He said, it's Glenn Campbell. I said, who? He said, Rhinestone Cowboy. <laughs> I said, oh. When I landed in Dallas, it became part of what I did was to to go and learn about him. And to this day, I still love it. And, and you, won't, you won't see Glenn Campbell's name on the whiteboard in any basketball organisation <laughs> anywhere in the world, but he should be on yours. <laughs> Absolutely. At the NBA, you talked about how hard, earlier you talked about how hard it was at times. How do you look back on it now? I was proud of some of the games I was able to, to play and the improvement I was able to make. Disappointed that I couldn't earn my second NBA contract and sort of establish myself as a career NBA player. But back then, it was, it was pretty much a get your opportunity and once you're out of the league, there's, you know, you're sort of painted with a particular brush and I, I just didn't get back in. I nearly got back in with the Washington. Yeah, there's still a little bit of what if left in that. Again, I said in the book that I'm really proud and there's something special about doing something for the first time or doing something that no one's done before. And no one had been drafted from the NBL to go into the NBA and today it's commonplace. But to be the first one to, to do that and you know, be a part of a new pathway for young Aussie basketball players to get to the NBA was pretty special. Yeah. I've got to ask you about playing, Jordan. That, uh, that's just a stock standard question. I think everyone's probably asked you. Uh, and, the, and the famous photo of you and Dennis Rodman facing off against each other. Beating the Bulls, is that the best moment as a member of a team in your NBA experience? Outside of winning championships and maybe even including it, yeah. Surreal, it was exciting. And to be, a, to be on the same basketball court as him for one time only in my entire life is something that not many people get to experience. And... To win that game of basketball was such an unlikely occurrence that it, it's to this day, and even if I go back and watch this film, I still don't know how we did it. We were <laughs> down double figures with a minute to go. I don't know how we did it, but we did. So we're still talking about it 25 odd years later. I'm sure he's not, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> the Russian experience, uh, and you and you detail it beautifully in the book because it, it was both, you know, a uh, obviously a, a lucrative offer for you, but but it, it had incredible downsides. I mean, you bloody near died over there. Yeah, and that was in hospital having my appendix out. And with the Russian situation was, 
I wanted to be uncomfortable. I wanted, you know, that whole comfort zone cliche to, to not just be a cliche, and that's the reason I accepted the offer. The, I'd been there two months. Um, it was getting towards Christmas time. It was already minus 30 degrees, and the days only had about seven hours of daylight in them. I was miserable. Nobody spoke English. I didn't understand the language. I was bored, and I thought I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. You know, I'd go and sit in an apartment by myself drinking vodka most nights, thinking, what, what have I done? How do I get out of this? Lying in bed one evening, and it occurred to me to stop feeling sorry for myself. No one was coming to help, and that was, that was, that was the difference. You know, I'd always depended on how great the magic was and how great the Gorgian teams were and the NBA was, and there'd always be someone there to help. But this time it had to be me. So I, it was about three o'clock in the morning. I made this choice to, instead of watching the mind-numbing DVDs that I'd been ordering off Amazon, <laughs> to learn a little bit about the language and to start watching documentaries instead of sitcoms. And you know, I found it to be to be beneficial, and you know, it was clearly helped by uh, an old Dallas Mavericks teammate of mine, Martin Mercer, who's Estonian and, and spoke both Russian and English, joined our team and he just opened, opened Russia up for me. You know, I was able to, to read signs that he was able to translate I was able to learn the language a little bit and if he had told me three months in that by choice I'd stay there for three years, I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah. But I was amazed in myself what, I, what became normal for me. Um, and I think that was a really relevant lesson for today. It's amazing what becomes normal. Post uh, post playing, Chris, so you've you've gone into coaching in a different in a in a different way. I mean, you've you've done a bit of uh, NBL coaching, uh, but uh, your coaching kind of, I guess, uh, slot at the moment is, is not where probably a lot of people would have expected you to be. And, and you're clearly enjoying it. Yeah, I, I'm a head basketball coach at Caulfield Grammar. I've been there for eleven years and oversee their, their basketball program. But I've been coaching girls and women's basketball now for five years and largely because I've got a daughter, Izzy, who has had a lot of success in her own right and is currently over in the United States at UCLA beginning her her own basketball journey or her own overseas basketball journey. But it was interesting when I got into coaching girls basketball, oftentimes you're blinded by being around the, the boys and the men's side all the time to how under-resourced the girls' programs were, and I felt that I was able to, or I could be able to positively impact that, and shine a light on their struggles a little bit more, and contribute to making it just a little bit better. I did again. I didn't think when Izzy left, and I wasn't taking her, I'd, I'd remain involved. But again, I've really enjoyed the process. I've really learned a lot about myself as a coach. Um, you do have to coach girls differently than you coach women, but to tell you coach boys and men. It's been fascinating and, uh, again, it, it still comes back to I love sharing with others what I've learned from people much smarter than me and there are some incredible lessons out there. And Is there a second book uh, possible? I'm not sure. Um, I took a lot out of me writing the book, actually, and maybe a kid's book about a giraffe or someone tall or I'm not quite sure. I've had a uh, couple of little ideas and I've known a few graphics people, so... It might be a little bit quicker to write. No, it's a completely <laughs> different challenge, but you never know. No, congratulations on it, mate. Uh, t- terrific read. I really, really enjoyed reading it. Some great stories in there, you know, some really good connections with local footy and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a terrific story, and, uh, and you did it really well. No, much appreciated. The, the project was fun, and I appreciate your reading it, Kev. 
Tall Tales, What the Whiteboard Never Taught Me is available through Chris's website, chrisanstey.com.au. It is a terrific read. There's uh, many stories we didn't touch on uh, here today in this podcast uh, and, and some great people that he's come across over the years and some great lessons to be learned in there and just a, just a really good read as well as much as anything else. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Tall Tales, What the Whiteboard Never Taught Me, chrisanstey.com.au. Thanks to Chris for his time. Really appreciate it. And thanks to our good uh, podcast partners, CSC. If you're looking at uh, doing your tax or you're looking at uh, borrowing some money, whatever it is in the finance world that you're looking at doing, speak to CSCG first and uh, they'll help you out with all the questions that you've got. And I'm sure when it comes to some of the finance uh, things, I know I have got a million questions. They've got the answers for you. And if they don't, they'll find out. CSCG.com.au is their website. And, of course, you can pick the phone up and give them a call on double nine seven four eight triple three. Until the next time on The Authorised Podcast, my name's Kevin Hillier. Read a book. It might be the one uh, whose author I'm talking to next. Next.